Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and today, Ziggler Family CEO Mark Tim and I bring you episode 466 with Dr. Meg Meeker. One of the primary spokes of the Ziggler Wheel of Life is relationships. All parents will want to hear this episode, though we are talking on the topic of fathers. For many men, the role of being a father is profound, but also daunting. I'm daddy to 10 kids myself, and hardly a day goes by. I don't question my ability. Well, Dr. Meg's book releases today, May 16th, 2017, and is called Hero, Being the Strong Father Your Children Need. But I'd ask you to stop right there. Before you think this is a message on doing and being more, This was a key point Dr. Meg led with in the interview you're about to hear. She said, this is about letting goodness come out, not learning new tricks. That was candy for my ears. And I think it will be for yours as well. So if you're a father, you're going to relish hearing this message. And for those of you who aren't a father, about nine minutes into the interview, Dr. Meg talks to everyone who may have come from an unengaged father and what you can do about it. So here we go. You're what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, Take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. Before we get rolling, I want to thank a couple of sponsors, Constant Contact. No one makes it easier to create interactive email content that drives engagement from your customers than Constant Contact. They let you easily upload your email list and then they handle the rest. Unsubscribes, bounces, inactive emails all update automatically. Plus, the templates are all built to be mobile responsive, so you can be sure that your emails will look just as great on small screens as they do on big ones. See how you can be a marketer with a free trial at constantcontact.com slash podcast. Also, Fresh Mac. If you're a Mac user like I am, is your Mac computer running slower than usual? If it's over a year old, then it's already filled with junk that's slowing it down. Thankfully, there's a safe, free download called Fresh Mac. Designed to scan, clean, and optimize your Mac computer, Fresh Mac can speed up your Mac and free up hard drive space in minutes. That's right, it's one click scan can tell you what's clogging up your Mac in just 60 seconds. So, freshen up your Mac and go to Fresh mac.com to download fresh mac for free again that's fresh mac.com okay folks if you heard show number 458 you know mark tim that's t-i-m-m 
Mark is an incredibly successful business owner, father to a large parcel of kids, and is the CEO of Ziegler Family. He actually introduced me to Dr. Meg Meeker, and I'm far the better for it. We both co-hosted this interview, and it was incredibly insightful. For those of you who have joined Mark and Ziegler Family's Thrive Community, which you can find at ZieglerFamily.com slash Thrive, Dr. Meg will be the guest expert for Thrive for June 2017. She will be the Thrive family-focused interview with an expert so you can get more intimate with her then and there, which you'll probably want to after hearing this interview. So two big points about Meg's message. Number one, as a pediatric doctor, she spends most of her time with the kids, actually all of her time with the kids. So her perspective in this message is speaking on their behalf, not just as an adult observer. Also, as I mentioned before, for the fathers, Meg again emphasizes this is about letting your goodness come out not learning new tricks, which I think is what we often feel like when we're given such messages. And again, uh, at about uh, nine minutes into the interview, she talks to all of us uh, who, or to anyone who is a product of an unengaged father, which I actually was not, thank goodness, but she talks there. So it's really a, a show that's relevant for all parents and really anyone uh, to that degree. This is her seventh book, but you'll hear her say in the interview that this book is different and she views it as a significant calling in her life. To help you with context on her before we start, here's a quick bio. Dr. Meg, she writes with the know-how of a pediatrician and the big heart of a mother because she's spent the last 30 years practicing pediatric and adolescent medicine. Her work with countless families over the years served as the inspiration behind her best-selling books, such as Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, Strong Mothers, Strong Sons, The Ten Habits of Happy Mothers, and Boys Should Be Boys. This new book that we're talking about today, Hero, launches May 15th, 2017, which is when this podcast hits, actually. And the tagline is, Being the Strong Father Your Children Need. Dr. Meg's popularity as a speaker on key issues confronting American families has created a strong following across the nation and around the world. She's spoken nationally on parenting issues, including personal appearances on numerous nationally syndicated radio and television programs, including Focus on the Family, The Today Show, Today with Kathy Lee and Hoda, Dateline with Katie Couric, The O'Reilly Factor, Fox and Friends, The Dave Ramsey Show, The Laura Ingram Show, NPR, Oprah Radio, The World Over with Raymond Arroyo, and more. She's a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, certified by the American Board of Pediatrics, and serves on the advisory board of the Medical Institute. She lives and works in northern Michigan, where she shares a medical practice with her husband, who you'll hear about in the show, Walter. They have four grown children and four beautiful grandchildren. So now that we've got you fully primed, here's our interview with Dr. Meg Meeker. All right. Well, Dr. Meg Meeker, last week we interviewed Dr. Emerson Igerich, who wrote Love and Respect. And I didn't feel like an interviewer in uh, talking with him. I felt like a student because, well, I, I was just, it was a conversation that I wanted right then for my marriage, man. It was all for me. And in looking at your book and going through this, I felt like same thing, man, I am here for me. I don't need to, I don't need to come up with interview questions. I can just ask my own because you're talking straight to me as a father. Thank you for being with us here today to guide us. Oh, you bet. I'm, I love being with you guys. 
Well, your book right off the top leads off with this premise. It says in a culture that lauds mothers as the parental heads of the house, the role of the fathers has become inappropriately minimized and in some cases even ridiculed. So I'll start by asking you to elaborate on that big statement right from the top. Oh, you bet. You know, uh, many people ask, why did I write Hero? And, you know, as a pediatrician of over 30 years, what I've seen in my practice is this a real sort of marginalization of fathers. But as I've seen that happen, I've also watched what's been going on in the culture. I went to an all-women's college in the 70s. Don't hold that against me, please. <laughs> and, and, and what I saw was women demanding more and more and more attention, um, you know, in the business realm, and then also in the parenting realm, and a lot of studies around mothers. And what happened concomitantly over the past 30 years is that um, mothers have gotten a lot of focus and a lot of attention and a lot of research and fathers good guys have just sort of disappeared into the background while that's been going on you'll notice in the media sitcoms movies um hallmark calls everywhere in our culture um the the position and the perspective of fathers has radically changed from being dad who's a strong good guy to being sort of the family moron who really can't leave his kids anything good. There's a car ad out there now who says, you know, you really don't have anything good to leave your kids. You can't even throw a baseball. Make sure you give them a good car. And I show this video at my conferences when I speak on fathers and everybody laughs. I said, but do you realize fathers have become the butt of people's jokes and people think, well, this doesn't really influence kids and parents because it's not real. Oh yes, it does. You know, kids speak differently to their fathers than they ever used to 20 years ago. So we really have a father crisis in our country, not just in inner cities where a lot of, uh, you know, at risk youth don't have dad in the home. We have it in all uh, homes in America because Fathers are portrayed and treated as second-class citizens, bumbling idiots who need to be taught a lesson or two by a snarky 11-year-old. And that's very well accepted in the American family. And as a pediatrician, this is devastating to kids. Um, and And I go into that in my book as well. So we've got a lot of work to do to re- invigorate, re encourage, and educate properly our fathers on how to be really great dads. Well, and goodness, I mean, in in looking at Mark's story personally of being at work and being this rock star, successful CEO at work and then coming home and feeling impotent and inadequate, do you feel that this, what you just talked about that story has been a big proponent in pushing us that way and pushing men that way that, well, okay, yeah, home, I'm, I'm an imbecile now. So let me go where my accolades are. I mean, that's always felt dangerous to me. And, and you're giving us kind of the ingredients that maybe led up to that even more so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that for me or Mark? Either. <laughs> well, all I want to say is that, uh, you know, just like what you were talking about, I think for me, it happened gradually where it was, you know, you, the, all, everything you just said, Dr. Meeker was true, where it just became accepted that, you know, that I wouldn't make the decisions at home the way I did at work. And so I found myself spending more time at work because I got confidence and clarity at work and I could make a hundred decisions with that confidence and clarity. But the first decision I came home, I didn't have that same confidence and clarity and society was saying, that's okay, work more because that's what you're supposed to do. When in reality, 
that's that I had it completely upside down. I mean, and if I hadn't stepped up when I did, I can't imagine where my family would be. And here I am sitting here. My family was headed in the same direction of the other families you talked about. And I mean, I'm, I, it would have been devastating for my family and it's, it was a wake up call for me, but if I hadn't got that wake up call and started acting at home, like I was acting at work, um, it, it would have hurt everybody. And so, so it happens easily and it's accepted so much more than it should be. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I will speak to the women out there and this is a bit of a mea culpa. You know, I, um, found myself as a strong headed woman, uh, raising four kids, three of whom are girls with my husband, who's also strong headed and very smart. And he's a pediatrician. Really, I found myself dominating and over controlling the home territory. Think about this. Mothers are taught, young couples are taught when you bring the baby home from the, from the hospital, dad, get out of the way because the baby must be exclusively breastfed because breast milk is liquid gold and mom has to bond with this baby. So right from the get go, you're thrown into orbit around your home. Stay out of the way. When we need you, we'll call you in and you better be there or we're really going to rail on you. And so I found myself dominating in the family situation. Now, I work part time. My husband worked full time. So we sort of said this is the way we want to run our home. But it went really beyond that. And I would complain that he would never engage the kids. And being a respectful, kind man, he would try to engage the kids. And then what would I do? I would overhear him talking to our daughters. I would shake my head, go, no, 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 no. That's not the way you talk to girls. I would swoop in the middle of the conversation. And everything in my body language and my tone of voice and my words said, you're not getting it right. Move out. I told you so. I'm on. And I think that women, mothers, have fallen into that subconsciously because we've been primed for that. We've been primed to be outstanding mothers in the home. We pride ourselves in being controlling with our kids and around the home because that's our domain. We pride ourselves on being controlling there and at work as well. Well, if we're doing that, then where are the good guys, the good fathers going to go? And what we found is that good men move to the periphery and they stay in orbit, even though we complain. So we've got women and mothers take a hard look at how we're really treating our husbands or the fathers of our kids if we're not married, because we're doing an enormous disservice to our children when we communicate to dad and the kids you know what? I have to be doing this because dad just can't get it right. Devastating to a child. Well, I want to dig in, of course, to that and some more. And I had asked you about this, though. I, I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to have you here, to have the experience of walking with so many families, to have you speak to those of our listeners who are not fathers, guys that aren't fathers, women who are, are not fathers, but they are the result of a non-engaged father. They're the product. They went through this and are heavily influenced. What could you offer them? Because they're sitting there, you know, well, that's all of us to a degree too. We all had fathers. They were either engaged or not. For those who did not have an engaged father, they did not have a hero father. What can you offer them to deal with what you know are, is a reality in their lives now? Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, I've been recruited, um, I was recruited several years ago to work with the NFL and a lot of the men who play football 
are exactly in this situation. They maybe didn't have a father at all, or maybe some people had fathers, but they were not engaged fathers. They were fathers who just sort of went to work a lot, came home, you know, did a few things. Here's what every person out there needs to understand. When we are born as children, you and I, um, Mark, we, we have a longing in our heart for our father or a father figure, not our mother, but a father figure to be a hero. So if we have an experience with a father figure early on in life, we put him on that platform. But we have longings for a father to be protected, to be loved, to be given security um, that God put in our hearts. And when those needs aren't met, we hurt and we ache and we have a lot of unresolved pain. And if we don't resolve it, we carry that pain into our marriage relationships and into our parenting. And so what everybody who wants to be a great parent must learn, whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, if, if you're in a situation and you're parenting children, but you never experienced having a hero dad or any love from your father, you really need to face sort of dial back and say, what did I want? What did I need? And where can I get those needs met? God, the father will meet those needs, but also to reconcile them because it's only in the reconciliation. Can you then move forward and say, okay, now I'm going to change course. I'm going to bring to my children what I never had. But if you don't reconcile that you lost a lot by not having that father in the home, it's psychologically quite complicated to do a great job if you don't recognize what you didn't get because you will repeat patterns that you learned. I'm not dooming anybody to bad parenting at all who hasn't resolved issues with the loss of a father engagement. But I am saying, because you certainly could be a great parent if you didn't have a great dad when you were growing up, but you'll be a much better parent if you understand what you wanted, what you didn't get, and then how you can turn and give that to your children. Okay. Well, you hit right there on a question that I had to a degree that it seems more tangible. Yeah. When I think about it in the frame of reference you just gave, especially when you first have a baby and you come home and mom is nursing that baby, she's bonding that baby. She's oftentimes the one getting up in the night with that baby. And we're, we have a more tangible role there. So my question was from a, you're, you're a doctor from a medical or scientific or supernatural, or as we would hear at Ziegler talk about divine creation. What are some of those just literal, tangible, psychological realities about the role and the presence of a father uh, that are subconscious, but children need them and they're not going to get that without a father or father figure present? That's a great question. Because a child, even an infant, a one or two or three month old infant, when dad picks up the child, they know it's not mom. And when mom picks up a child, she knows it's not dad. Children right from the get-go understand the difference between mom and dad. So for those out there who say, you know, you really don't need a mom and a dad, from a child's perspective, they long for mom and dad because they know they have one. Everybody has to have one. So what does that young child need from dad that they don't necessarily need from mom. And again, this is from a child's perspective. And one of the great privileges I have as a pediatrician is I've listened to thousands of kids so I can really talk about their heart and life through their eyes. 
A young child needs a sense of security and protection that he or she gets from dad that he doesn't necessarily get from mom. He hears a deeper voice. He feels stronger hands. He feels hair on the chest or whiskers on his face. Those give him cues that this person will fulfill a different role for him or her than the soft hands of mom. So mom is security. Mom is the one who has to love you no matter what. But in a young child's eyes, and this is odd, and I never realized it until several years ago, a child perceives that dad doesn't have to love them. Dad's love is negotiable. Mom's love isn't. And so a child, a two-year-old, a three-year-old who feels that dad is loving them feels that there are really something special because they've earned dad's love because in their mind, dad is this larger than life person. It's kind of like comparing mom, the comfy couch to dad, the strong wing back chair. You know, you sit upright in a wing back chair because the back is stiff and solid and it engulfs you and it keeps you and makes you feel safe. The couch is something you sink into when you relax and all of your muscles relax. To a child's mind and sensibilities, even a young child, dad brings something very different to the child than a mother does. And I write a lot about that in Hero. Okay. Well, looking at that aspect, uh, well, here's, here's the next thing that you said, or that I pulled out from the book. It said, fathers need to see themselves the way their children see them. You are, whether you know it or not, the center of their world, the hub of the wheel that is your family, the hero they depend on. If you're not there or not engaged, they suffer. So two questions from that statement that I have first, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful to say as Mark and I were talking about earlier that we are highly engaged dads. So I'm highly engaged with my kids. I'm so grateful for the knowledge and the desire to, to do that. And my wife and I have always viewed ourselves as full-time parents jointly, uh, though admittedly, you know, homeschooling years, uh, my wife spent a lot of t- more time with them, but, but even here, I think a lot of guys will have a hard time believing that they are the center of their kids' worlds. When I read that, I thought, oh, man, that's, that's weighty. Uh, and for the very reasons you cite, that so many of them don't feel as connected. They don't feel as involved. They don't know as much as their spouse does. But you're saying that even so, they're still the center of their kids' worlds. I think that's, that takes a little effort to, to accept. Is that, uh, I mean, do you find that with guys? Yes. And I say that for a reason. Think back to when you were a child and you're sitting at the kitchen table and mom's running out, running in and out, doing something, maybe cooking dinner, maybe on the phone or whatever. And you're doing something and, you, and you're five and your dad walks in the room. Your dad walks in the room nowadays, probably texting somebody on the phone, looking around, reading through the mail. But what do you see as a child, as a five-year-old little boy or a five-year-old little girl the center of your life just walked into the room and you are desperate to know, does daddy see me? How does daddy, what is daddy thinking about me right now? Is daddy going to come over and say hello? Does he see what I'm drawing? Does he see what I'm reading? Does he care that I'm in the room? Does he acknowledge my presence? And we can all feel that sense of, a yearning for dad to notice you because when dad notices you, your, your whole self lights up, your world is safe. And I tell parents this, when you look at the identity formation of a child, it's by and large done by 
watching a parent, we're talking about dads here, and reading the father for cues about what dad is thinking about you. And then when you get those cues, like my dad noticed that I was sitting at the table, I'm really important because he hung up the phone and he was talking with somebody at work. So I must really be important that he hung up the phone. He came over, he pat me on the head. He sat down, looked at me in the eyes and said, how are you, pal? That means I'm important. And that child internalizes those feelings and he believes he's important. If dad does that repeatedly over weeks and years, he turns into a 25 year old who believes He's important because dad said he was important. Now, that goes with, you know, your sense of self-worth, your self-esteem, your significance, how smart you are, um, how talented you are down the line. So that's what I mean by dad is the center of a child's world because a child hangs on dad's feelings about him or her, um, dad's beliefs about him or her, um, and dad's hopes about for him and her. So dad walking in the room walks right by a child and may feel insignificant because the kid is coloring. But a child lights up when dad's in the room and waits for life-changing cues. Yeah, it's heavy stuff, but here's the cool part. You know, every kid wants his dad to be his hero, nobody else. And any any dad can do it. Before we continue, I want to thank two sponsors who helped bring this show to you. I've got a new book for you, The New Rules of Work. The career marketplace looks nothing like it did five years ago. In the old days, a job was at best a means to a paycheck for the vast majority of people. But today's career trajectories don't look that way. Technology has given rise to new positions that never before existed, which means we are choosing from a much broader set of career options than ever and have even more opportunities to find work that inspires us. A relevant question, do you have the tools to compete in the new world of work? In the new rules of work, the modern playbook for navigating your career, Catherine Minshew and Alexandra Kavulakis, co-founders of the popular career website, The Muse, show you how to play the game by the new rules. Through quick exercises and structured tips, you will learn how to find the right path land the perfect job, and advance in your career. Whether you're just starting out in your career, navigating a mid-career shift, or somewhere in between, this is the book you need to thrive in the new world of work. Pick up a copy of The New Rules of Work, the modern playbook for navigating your career today. As a lifetime entrepreneur and business owner, I got into business to fully pursue things I truly cared about. For my fellow entrepreneurs and business leaders out there, there's a reason you got into business. It wasn't to worry about how to track your applicants or to figure out email marketing. So don't let those things dominate your time. There's software out there that can handle all the day-to-day busy work for you. You just need to find it. That's why I'm telling people about Captera. That's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A. They help you find the software solution for your business needs. It's an easy to use website with over 400 categories of software to choose from. 
Whether you need help with website building or customer service or project management, Captera is the place to go. They have thousands of ratings and reviews from actual software users just like you and me. And here's the best part. Using Captera is absolutely free. There's no obligation. You don't even need to register. It's a free resource that will help you make the right software decision. Join the millions of people who use Captera every month, including me. Visit captera.com slash matters and find the software that will help you do what you do better. That's Captera, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S to start your search today. You know, I, I just want to jump in here and just say how powerful this is listening to it. Just, I mean, I'm just sitting here soaking it in. And what I know is, is that there are a lot of dads listening right now. And there are a lot of moms that are going to actually ask dad to listen to this. And they're going to get to this part. And just like Kevin said, you know, it rolls off your tongue, Dr. Meeker, real easy. But as a dad, even an engaged dad, and I'm super plugged in with all my kids and try to be really present. But everything you just said felt kind of heavy, even to me. Mm-hmm. And so what advice, you know, and, and I, I'm sorry, Kevin, I got to just ask this question. So a dad's listening and everything you're saying makes sense, but they're literally overwhelmed at the idea of becoming that hub when they walk through the door exhausted. How do you give dads a practical step? One or two, like, like the a no brainer, I can do this, you know, uh, because I'm sitting here going, if I'm a dad, I, I know where I was at five years ago yeah. and I would have agreed with everything you said, but I would have been like, I, I, I don't even know where to begin. It, yeah. it, well, well first, well, first of all, I would encourage dads, every father's wired with everything he needs to be a great dad to his kid. And great parenting is really simple, but it's hard, as you say. Here's what I would encourage dads to do. And and through my book, Hero, I really try to teach fathers how to have, um, to see themselves through the kids' eyes. That I, my child sees me as a dad very differently than I see himself. And dads, by and large, feel pretty insecure. But here's a really easy place to start. And trust me, it works. I have a 1531 rule. 15 minutes a day, try to spend 15 minutes a day engaging your kid, talking about something. Sit down, look him in the eye, ask how his day was, you know, and just listen to him. 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, turn off your cell phone because that will free you up to be able to pay more attention, you know, to your kids. And one, just try to spend a little bit of one-on-one time with each kid every week if you can. Any dad can do that. And I want to encourage dads that what we're talking here takes a lot of time. Fortunately, you have that time. If you have a five-year-old, you have 20 more years until the kid's technically an adult. I use 25 as the sort of the the cutoff point. Some people use 18. I don't because we know that brain cells aren't totally formed by then. We know by 25, the whole brain is well-formed and the frontal lobe is well-developed. And so even if you have a 16-year-old and you have a really tough relationship with one of your kids and you go, this is overwhelming for me. Take a big, big, deep breath. Recognize that you're far more important than you believe. 15 minutes a day more, just face-to-face conversation with that 16-year-old. You don't even have to say anything, just ask questions. And then give yourself nine more years. I promise you'll get there. 
Okay. I, love it. I can't wait to get home. Oh my I mean, gosh. You'll be fired up right now. I, I'm sitting here thinking so. about each and every kid and about some of the, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have a to-do list when we get finished here. Well, I, I actually want to, I want to admit, uh, speak to that. You said, you know, every father is wired with what kids need. And a minute ago though, you talked about what a kid experiences when dad walks into the room. So I literally had this at the very end. I was going to, I was going to finish us out with what to me felt like the big stuff. I'm going to bring it right here because it just, at first, I don't want anybody to miss it. So if they don't make it to the end of the show, listen to this folks. So this is chapter five. You gave us, even though you say we're wired, you gave us some pretty stout uh, possibility or resources or tactics to use here. So out of your chapter five, three questions, your child needs you to answer. And I only read the first one before I, I, I choked up a little bit. I thought that's, oh my gosh, that, that my kid is thinking that I don't conceptualize, uh, that you're speaking right into the kids' hearts with these questions into their very being of how they feel loved and the influence we have over how they view themselves. And, I've used the word daunting, I think, already in this show, and we talked about it. It feels weighty. I mean, this is this is a big deal. Um, I'm, I'm ever so aware of the massive influence I have on my kids, and I'm often just praying, Lord, protect them from my failings, my weakness, my mistakes. So I, I want you to lead us through these questions, because these are ones that now you've got me thinking of. I'm going to walk in tonight, and am I addressing this with my kids? So number one, Dad, how do you really feel about me? I mean, I have to admit that when you state that, there's a little bit of, of fear of, oh my gosh, am I addressing that? Am I giving them good feedback and perspective right there? I hope there's some saving graces because I've got yeah. some, I've got some stuff. Well, first of all, I really want to try to diffuse some of the angst that I think I'm, I'm causing men to feel right now. This whole, you know, daunting business. I would encourage men to think of think of it this way you have all of this inside of you what your job is now is just start letting the good stuff out mm. and and you haven't been able to let that out the one question the first question in those three questions that i ask is dad how do you really feel about me and if you want to know what this feels like think back to yourself as a child if your dad walked in the room how did you want your dad to feel about you what did you want him to say what did you want him to communicate and here's where it gets really simple, guys. Um, you, even if you mess up your communication, kids, even young kids are savvy enough to see through your communication, your body language, to know exactly how you really feel. So if you really love your kids and you're having a bad day, your kids know you really love them. You'll never find a more forgiving person in your life, fathers, than First a daughter and then your son, because they need you to love them. And they're willing to forgive you over and over and over. They're willing to give you a tremendous amount of grace because remember, they need you a whole lot more than you need them. They need you. I mean, they need you for survival physically and emotionally. And so they are so willing to give you grace. So a child looks right to your heart. So really the thing to do is first and foremost, ask yourself how you really feel about your child. You know, pretty easy in general for dads to love daughters because there's no competition or conflict there. More difficult for dads, perhaps, to love their firstborn sons because many of those firstborn sons remind them of them as kids. And if they had self-esteem issues as kids, they may look at their sons subconsciously and go, oh, you're kind of, kind of, mothers do it with their firstborn daughters. 
you know, you have the hardest time getting along with the firstborn same sex as his parent. So, so the conflicts arise there. And then say to yourself, you know, but that son is himself. It's not me. He's him. And I can love him. And I can love him very well. So first thing to do is, you know, really do some soul searching. How are you really feeling about your kid? And the second thing is, are you communicating it? Are you saying, I love you? Are you going up into their bedroom at night and just peeking in the door when they're in their bedroom and saying, hey, how are you doing? I just want to tell you, you are so amazing. I just love you like mad. That's it. That's it. How great would that have felt for you as a kid if your dad would have done that every night? So if you really want to know what your kids need, think back to what you wanted as a kid from your dad and go do that to your kids. Easy. Okay. That first one, how do you really feel about me? Okay. I can conceptualize that. The second I, one, you know, I want to, I got to, I want to jump in yeah, and just please. share one thing. Cause it just made me think, you know, when I, when I started this new journey in the path I am as a dad today, I remember this event where I took the kids, mom, I, I, I intentionally mom wasn't there because I really needed to own some stuff. And so I sat down with them and I got so vulnerable and I just apologized to them from the bottom of my heart for the sideways thinking that I had about how they understood why I was gone all the time and why I wasn't there and, and the assumptions that I made. And it was, it was a time where I just, I totally just poured it out. And as a man, I've never felt more vulnerable in my entire life than I did sharing that with the kids. And I can tell you now, fast forward four plus years the kids to this day point back to that one singular event and tell me it was some of the most powerful things that I've ever said to them. And they retained it over that time. But I remember feeling completely exposed and completely vulnerable. And you just made me think about that, that sometimes when we are at our most vulnerable point as a man, we are actually the strongest that we will ever be for our kids. And that's just, that's not something that, I think we even believe is possible, but I'm here to tell you it is. I will tell you, and, and that vulnerability is so important to your kids. When a father comes to his children, and he doesn't have to say it over and over, but in all sincerity says, kids, I've totally messed this up. I have hurt you. I have screamed at you. I have called you names. I haven't been here for you, but I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And then I want to change, but I'm going to need you to help me. So will you help me along the way? And I will tell you that my father made some very serious mistakes in his life. And he was in a nursing home with Alzheimer's the last couple of years of his life. And one of the most pivotal moments in my life, even as an adult, and this happened about six or seven years ago, I was walking with him in the halls of the nursing home with my arm through his because I I, I had to walk with him to keep him stable. And he stopped dead in his tracks and he looked at me and he said, Meg, am I forgiven? And I Mm. said, dad, for what? He said, I just did so many awful things to you kids and to mother. And I said, yes, dad, you're forgiven. And, uh, you know, that changed me. I was in my 50s. You know, so what a father being vulnerable to a child brings a new level of intimacy to the relationship that yes, it's extremely uncomfortable for dads, but the payoff for you and the payoff for your kids is immeasurable. So never, ever be afraid to ask your, to admit your mistakes very humbly, ask your kids for forgiveness, and then let them know you want to love them better 
man, you're all off and running. Hey, I'll just real quick add to that, that a a handful of months ago in an inspired time, as I was going through some counseling on my own, I sent a letter off to my three oldest kids. Uh, It was actually three different letters and uh, it was so it was some significant vulnerability. The testimony I got back from my wife, and it wasn't till a couple months afterwards, she was talking about my oldest son, as you you've been talking about, but she that uh, he had been communicating with her, and I think we were talking about a girlfriend or something like that, and she said he's not near as infatuated there as he is with you after this last series of communication. She says he is giddy with his relationship with you. Oh my gosh. Just, yeah. And that's, so, so go back to what you said. That's in me. I just got to bring it out. out. You've got to let it out and you have it. And, and that also speaks to the truth that you're sort of the plumb line, the center of his life. Everything is measured against experience with dad. And many dads feel like I'm not a hero. Well, okay. you, You knocked yourself off the platform. Let me tell you how to get back on really quickly because you are larger than life. Your mistakes are larger than life and that they hurt more than anybody else's wounds that you commit against your kids. But if you want to get back on the platform, go to your kids and apologize and say you want to do better. And, and, and that reconciliation will be twice as big an impact in your child's life than the wound was in the first place. I guarantee. Wow. Oh, thank you. Well, Hey, this second question, again, that first one, how dad, how do you really feel about me and and giving expressions of of love and encouragement? Okay. I've got that. Number two though, dad, what do you believe about me? I I stepped back when I read that, when I thought, okay, this I'm back in the Bible with prophetic uh, words here towards my kids. That's give us, explain that one. Okay. Here's a quick illustration. When I was 16 years old, I decided I was going to go to medical school. Everybody get out of my way. That's just what I wanted to do. And and I wanted to. I got all the way through. uh, My parents never encouraged me, discouraged me. This was my thing. Got all the way to my senior year in college. And um, I sent off tons of applications. Every last one came back to me saying, thank you. We've chosen other people. Have a good life. And at 21, I thought my life was over. So I went home to to live with my parents for a little bit. I went out for a jog to clear my head, came back home, and I was walking by my father's study, and I heard him on the phone. So being very female, I walked to the door, and I kind of leaned my head in to listen. And I heard him say uh, this. He said to the person on the other end of the phone, yes, my daughter Meg will be going to medical school in the next year or two. And I was stunned. I was literally stunned. I thought, what is going on? What I heard in that one sentence or two that my dad spoke was, he knew that he knew that he knew that I was going to go. And do you know what that told me? I was going to go. And so I felt like I was sort of 21 and putting the pieces of my life together because I felt I I have no plan B or I don't know what to do. When I heard my father communicate his belief about me to a friend, just overhearing the conversation that pivoted me from being a, a woman who felt in my young years and my life was over to one 
who was solid on track and I could move forward. And sure enough, in a year I went. But here's what's interesting. I asked my dad several years later about that conversation. And he doesn't remember having that conversation with his friend on the phone. And isn't that telling? He communicated a belief about me very easily because it was in his heart. I overheard it and it changed my life. That's how when a father communicates inadvertently or or intentionally what he believes about a child, that shapes who that child becomes, not just later in life, but throughout their adult years. And I hung on to that as I wrote my first book and my second book and my sixth book. I knew that my dad believed and that's all I needed to write another book. Now, the reason a father needs to communicate his beliefs to his kids is he needs to remember this. Other people can give you platitudes. Your your wife can tell you you're doing a good job. Your husband can tell you you're doing a good job. But that's peer-to-peer. But when a father who in a child's mind is enormous communicates a truth that he thinks is very small, the impact on the child is life-changing. And so that's that power. So fathers, ask yourself, what do I believe about my son and daughter? Do I believe they're smart? Do I think to believe they're good? And again, when you're communicating beliefs in general, don't talk about superficial things, like whether they're a good soccer player or whether they're beautiful or whether they're, you know, anything else. Go to the deep stuff. I believe that you are kind and good. I believe that you're hardworking. I believe that you have courage, son. The world doesn't believe you can have courage. I believe, 18-year-old son, that you can have self-control. So my standards for your behavior with girls are very different than anybody else's. But let me tell you something. I know you and I know you can do it. You don't have to give him any other sex education. Uh, You know, a couple sentences from a father communicating his deep belief about a son shapes the identity forever of that son. I hope that makes sense. It makes sense. And it's again, just incredibly powerful. And I I appreciate that. We, uh, I have two middle sons that get some uh, specific attention from me that, and we went and talked, it was kind of a home church type thing. And I felt led in, we wrote down, I think it was 21 character traits. And I hear you saying, yeah, go to that. Not that, Hey, uh, you know, Ian, you're great at athletics or, uh, you know, Canyon, you're amazing a writer, but not go to the roles or the actions, but to their character, to their hearts. Okay. Okay. And I, 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 what I hear you saying too, is, is that we're, if, if dad is listening and they want to do this, we overcomplicate it. Like we, we, we step into it. I mean, what I'm hearing you say is this is not nearly as hard as we're making it. You know, I mean, it's your complicated, Mark, you're complicated. Kevin. If fathers are complicated, children are not. <laughs> They're not. You're dealing with with a child who doesn't have full brain development, who is a work in progress, who just wants to know you love them like mad because they're yours. You believe they're incredible people and need to be alive because God created and and gave that person to you and that you believe they have, they can have a great future. Start there. Keep it simple because your kid wants the simple stuff from you, not the complicated stuff. You don't have to be a great communicator, you know, and, and as a matter of fact, if you have a teenage daughter 
it actually works to your benefit. The fact that you don't need to talk as much as your wife, (laughs) you'll drive your daughter crazy. You know, one of the things women do is we ask our daughters a question and as the daughter's answering, we, we go in with our, um, we interrupt her answer by correcting her answer that she hasn't been completely given. Dads just ask a question. Listen, that works very well for teenage girls. So don't overthink this. Well, so, so number three, we lead into then dad, what are your hopes for me? And this immediately brought to mind Proverbs 22, six, train up a child in the way that they should go. Or I like the version that says in the way that they are bent because I have, I've seen that uh, abused, I, 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 would, I would say, or taken wrongly that if my hopes for my kid, there's a tendency to want to bend them in the way that I want them bent. And I doubt that's what you're saying. So explain that, Dad. What are your hopes for me? Is that just our expectations or encouragement? Hopes. Okay. These are hopes, not expectations. Okay. And I will digress a second and talk about expectations and Please. you know complimenting kids. We are so wired into helping our kids create a fabulous portfolio so they can get off to the the college of their choice that we focus far too much on performance and not on character. And we've really got to stop that because kids see right through that. And kids who have parents who run them around to a million activities, stand on the sidelines and clap and scream believe that they need to keep doing that in order to keep attention from mom and especially dad. So that can be a real dangerous territory to enter into. So when I say, dad, you know, a child wants to know, what are your hopes for me? I'm not saying, dad, you want your son to be an Olympic swimmer. So go hire him the best coach you can find in the country when he's six. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about communicating to your son and daughter that when they are adults, they can live a great life. When they are a young kid, they don't have to be an out of control teenager. Your hope is that life will go well for them and that they can have strength of character to deal with troubles when they come. And and again, this is the very simple, but it's the very, very fundamental truth that a father communicates to his kids that my job is to stand behind you and help life go well for you, to help pick you up when you fall. But I want you to know that I am doing this because when, when you are 30 and 35 and 40, the course that I help you set you on now is going to impact your life when you're 30 and you're 40 and you're 50. The other reason I wrote about that is this, from a child's perspective, think about this from a teenager's perspective. And I never realized this until kids started telling me this. The typical 17 year or 18 year old boy believes that all the good stuff in life, particularly sexual activity happens before you're 25. And that body parts begin falling off, life gets horrible, you get married, you have kids, you have your boring job, and then so you better have all of your fun before then. So I talk to kids about gaining perspective and saying, you know, this is your training ground for a great life after 25. Because parents need to remember in their young children's minds, life is today and tomorrow and the next day. And the older they get, it's today and tomorrow and next week and next month. And by the time they're teenagers, they may be thinking a year or two out, but they're definitely not thinking past 25. So we need to communicate that to them and talk about the character they will need to live a great life 
uh, when they're 30 or 40. You know, you said something about be there to pick them up when they fall. This is a, this is something I just came to in the last couple of years, and that is I was spending tremendous energy preventing my children from falling. So I was putting all this energy into anticipating mistakes and challenges and problems and, and, and being there to actually prevent them from falling. And we finally, it was exhausting doing that. And what we realized is, is that it gave us so little to work with. And so, you know, I mean, it's true. You talk about teaching them character. I mean, when we finally let go and said, okay, you know, you're going to fall and we're going to be here to pick you up. And then we're going to talk about it. You know, it's, it's created an unlimited amount of teachable moments. And certainly we're there to prevent them from making the big falls that can have lots of damage. But we got comfortable with the fact that our children are absolutely going to make mistakes period. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to fall. And our job is to be there to, you know, help them up and then coach and correct and build that character when they do fall. It's, it, there's a lot of character moments after they've fallen and it's a lot easier to teach that than there is trying to teach it before they've even fallen. Cause it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't connect. But that's such a natural, that flows so naturally from the father and the mother's heart is keep our kids safe so that they don't get banged up or bruised up in life. And particularly in this day and age when we're we're going so overboard with, you know, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings about anything. So we have to use certain language, you know, and, and we're treating people like they're China dolls, young kids, and we can't do that. Because if you think of any great person, any great uh, successful person, whether it's in relationships or business or whatever, these are people who've been through the fire, who've fallen and fallen and fallen and fallen and fallen, but they have developed a resiliency because they have been taught um, how to get back up again and go on, you know, so let your kid play on a soccer team where he's the worst on the team. Don't just yank him off because you don't want his self-esteem hurt, you know, teach him how to get back in the game and try to score the winning goal for his hockey team and miss it and get him off and give him a big hug afterwards. And don't feel sorry for him. Say, you know what? This is a great lesson. This is life. You know, and what can you learn from it? Don't go, oh, you poor thing. You know, uh, your teammates are all mad at you. I'm so sorry. You don't have to play hockey ever again. You know, that's the natural, intuitive way to parent. So what I'm really kind of talking about is fighting those instincts a little bit and doing what's right for our kids, not what feels best for us. Yeah, well, I wish I could say I came to that uh, out of some great wisdom. It was actually just having so many darn kids, I flat ran out of steam. And uh, and then I saw <laughs> the fruition of that. So there's there, another though. way. Well, so you, in, in a statement that we talked about uh, earlier out of the book, you also said if you're if you're not there or not engaged, they suffer. And I, I honestly thought about you, Mark, in the interview that we did uh, with you, and I wanted to ask you about it, Meg, in that... Uh, if we're not engaged, we are not influencing our kids and they're going to go be influenced by someone or something. We talked about that at length, uh, Mark. And I'm wondering as, as you wrote about this, Meg, as you see that, is that a significant place where kids do suffer because they don't get the influence from where they should get it. They don't get that encouragement, that acceptance where they should get it. So they go over here and get it in a false place or from the wrong person. Is that a significant area of their suffering? Yes, very much so. Because when the person you long for most, uh, for affection and love fails to give it to you, 
you will look for it anywhere you can get it. Think of a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl. I see these girls all the time who end up in the backseat of some boy's car and they will readily tell me that they are there because they long for a man, even if it's a fake man, a 16-year-old boy, to touch them and to hug them. You know, interestingly, studies show that the best way to improve the self-esteem of a girl is to have her father give her physical affection. So that father touch um, to his teenage daughter literally will keep, may keep her from getting pregnant. I mean, this is heavy stuff, but it's real and it's the way it is. That son who doesn't get, um, you know, the approval or the stamp of approval or the nod of approval from the, from his dad may end up at 60 years of age still trying to climb the ladder to show his dad he can get there and he really is something. Those longings for father approval and father attention and father affection are so deep and so real when they're not met. They stay with us forever and we look in all sorts of places. Look at gangs in the inner cities. That's all about not having dad in the home. You have dad physically present there, gangs would diminish um, because those are, are young men who are desperate for sense of identity and, 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 and a knowledge that they are part of a bigger unit. And even if it's a bad unit, it's better than no unit. So they need that sense of, of, of male approval, even if the guy, even if they know consciously that the men are bad eggs. Um, so in a child's mind, that's how very important it is. But I want to say something to the fathers who are listening who go, okay, I've got a 25-year-old. I'm estranged from my son. I've blown it. It's too late. It's never, ever too late for a father to reconcile and to begin to meet those needs of a, a son or a daughter, because inside that adult son and daughter is the longing of the child always. So don't feel despondent. Don't beat yourself up. Start where you are and, and just start down this path. You can get back there. I, I so appreciate you saying that because, uh, you know, that Ziegler family, we've got a lot of families coming through there and we just had, tens of thousands of families come through our seven day challenge. And I would say it was, it was amazing to me how many um, families that had adult age children that were raising their hand and saying, I so wish I would have had this information. I so wish I would have known this. I've blown it. It's too late. There's nothing I can do now. And they're just, they're, they're almost swimming in their own guilt and shame of the situation. And I'm so thankful for that message you just gave because it's a message so many families need to hear that even though their kids aren't in their home anymore, that's, that's doesn't, you know, that's just a, that's just a technicality. That's just a, a little hurdle that they can cross and still pour into their lives and make a massive difference. And I think so many people need to hear that. So thank you for sharing that. That was powerful. Sure. You know, I often tell, I wrote a book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And I interviewed tons and tons of women. And I tell fathers this one thing, and this is true, I believe about sons too. Every woman takes one man to a grave and it's her dad. And, and here's why, because your dad holds power in your life because you start your relationship with your father. He is the adult, you're the child. And you always want either more time with your dad if you had a pretty good relationship and more healing if you had a bad relationship. So dads, I want you to hear that. I don't care if you're 80 and your daughter's 60. 
the best way to get rid of your guilt and shame is to call her up, reach out to her, apologize and say, please, I may only have three days left, but can we have a brand new three days? She'll give it to you. Awesome. Yeah. You, so you in this all along, you have done uh, this to a degree. So I'm going to ask specifically, you make a differentiating factor between what girls and boys need from their fathers. And I actually read that a little bit in the book. And I thought, I'm not going to read any further. I'm going to ask you right here and, and listen to me. Cause if I think of just myself, just, you know, off, off the cuff, I think, okay, yeah, boys need adventure and roughhousing and joining dad in work and girls simply need a, a sweet guy. Right. I mean, my oldest daughter, who's not, not passive at all. She cured me of, of that, but there are some cultural perspectives at work. So give us some insight here. Sure. From a child's perspective, again, and this is where it's so, my, my job is so easy because I just speak on behalf of kids um, because they can't communicate what they see and what they want and what they know. Uh, a son and daughter need very different things from mom than they do from dad. And a son needs from a father a sense of masculinity. The father is the one who shows them what maleness is about. It's kind of the iron sharpening iron. Um, and that's particularly true when he's a teenager. Boys are very visual people. And they need to see pictures of good men that they respect and look up to and how those men talk and how they walk and how they conduct themselves, the tone of voice they use. I had one NFL player tell me he never had a dad growing up, but he has a good family now. And I said, how did you get there? He said, I had a friend whose father I admired and I would go over to my friend's house and the father and the mother and the two kids. And then this man as a child would sit and eat dinner. And he said, I'll never remember. I'll never forget the picture of how that man talked to his family at the dinner table. And I said to myself when I was, when I was 15, I want that. So I imitated that. That's a visual picture. So boys need a visual picture from a man of what a good man looks like as he lives his life. Um, he also needs a sense of protection, a sense of protection from himself. He needs a sense of value. Um, again, he needs that sense of uh, significance. A young man understands his significance when his father looks at him and tells him, I am proud of you, my son. That means something very different than if it comes from your mother. Um, what a daughter needs from a father is a sense that she is the apple of his eye. She doesn't have to be a great kid, but knowing that she is her father's daughter gives her a sense of self-respect. A daughter needs, again, to see what a, how a good man talks to her as a woman. If dad never swears and she's on a date with a guy who starts swearing, lights will start to go off and bells in her mind go, uh-uh, uh-uh, this isn't how my dad talks. Let me tell you, dads, every daughter compares every man she dates to you. So if you open the door and you're kind and you don't yell, she doesn't want to be with a guy who does those things. A daughter needs protection. She needs to feel secure with her father. Interestingly, you know, the, tele the very popular show Twilight, many adolescent girls are um, hooked on that. And one of the reasons some researchers are found is that they all say they want a man who will love them and protect them like the lead character in in the show so even young girls are saying to us we're desperate for our dads to love us enough to watch over us and keep us safe and keep us from harming ourselves so that's just the beginning wow. of the differences of what boys and girls need from their dads okay and 
You know, I'm thinking about, you've mentioned a lot in regards to moms and wives. And while some are hearing this, you said that there's gonna be a lot of women who are going to hear this and they're going to give it to their uh, spouse, to their husband, to listen to, because uh, they're welcoming and receptive to this message. I know there's got to be a faction who are not. Uh, for yes. valid reasons, yeah. they'd rather have their husbands or even more of their ex-husbands just butt out. And what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say, um, first of all, I understand. There's a lot of animosity that women feel um, for men. And it's um, and they're justified because they've been abused. They've been screamed at. Maybe they had a father who was abusive, another man who was abusive. And when I come along or a person like me comes along and said, wait a minute, men are good guys. Um, we need them in the home. They go, no, no, no. You don't understand my husband. And I would say to them, yes, I do. I have met him. And what you who are women who are feeling a lot of anger at this conversation or anger at talking about us championing men in the homes need to, to reconcile is you have been wounded by a bad man, but that doesn't mean your children don't need their father. They need the best relationship they can have with their dad. Even if you don't like him very much, or even if you've been burned by men in the past, your kids aren't experiencing life the way you did. So as a really great mom, you need to help your kids have a good relationship either with their dad if possible or with another father substitute, stepdad, uncle, grandfather, you know, some adult man who you can bring to them and say, look, this is what great men look like. You have to give that to your children because if you give them your bitterness, they live a lifetime of bitterness against men and you set them up to not trust any man. And that's really not fair to them. So tough language, but I'm saying it to really help you moms out there who have been wounded by men. On, on men. And this was one that I thought, gosh, this is a big issue for guys that uh, myself and, and others where you have, it's chapter three in the book, the leader, not the coach. Uh, I've got a business partner uh, that I do life real cl closely with, and we have kids the same age, and he often struggles with making every moment a teaching moment. So this chapter, uh, I'm going to have him read it as well, but tell us the difference and maybe why we need to be so coaches with, uh, cautious with our, our tendency to, to coach. Yeah. Well, again, I think uh, we have a lot of uh, parents out there who are very bright very well read, trying extremely hard to do a great job parenting, who are overthinking parenting, particularly dads. And this coaching arena is one of those ways. They get hung up on making every moment a teachable moment. They get so hung up on doing the right thing that they um, fail to do the, the big stuff. And my, my, my encouragement is don't worry about the little stuff, just get the big stuff right. The difference between a leader and a coach is this. A coach is one who sits on the sidelines of a child's life at the dinner table, at the, on the side of a soccer field, you know, in the backseat of a car, telling a child what to do and trying to make that child into something. A leader, on the other hand, lives the life well 
and walks in front of the kid and says, follow me, come with me, you know, come with me on errands and help me change the tire. Come with me um, as I go work at a soup kitchen because I'm going to need some help today. My husband was excellent at this. You know, he's a man of much fewer words than I. And uh, so he, but he had a big influence on all of our kids because every year he would go two weeks on a medical mission trip uh, to South America and he would just take the kids. He wouldn't, he'd just say, who wants to go with me this year? And our kids would clamor to go. And we had three daughters are the oldest. And when our youngest son, it came time for him to go. He decided he really didn't want to go because that was not his thing. You know, bugs, the heat, that kind of thing. But the girls loved it. And I overheard one of my daughters saying to her brother, her younger brother, you need to go because you need to see dad work. You need to watch him. And I was stunned. And that's when I got this whole idea that, the influence on her and the daughters was not in what my husband said, but in what he walked out in front of the kids. So I would encourage fathers out there, if you keep your own character in check and you make sure your kids are, are with you enough, they will catch on to what strong character is all about. And you won't need to say a whole lot to them. I love that because at the beginning, you know, we got into some heavy stuff and it was feeling kind of weighty, but I can tell you now, you know, that as a father, you're simplifying it a little bit because I get caught in that coaching mentality too often where everything is a teachable moment. And, you know, and, and a couple of times my wife very lovingly has said, I, I think they just wanted a hug and, you know, and, and, and a pat on the back or, you know, something like that. And, and again, it simplifies it down to where this is not impossible. You know, we can do this and be the man that we were put on this earth to be that God put us on this earth to be. And, and some days that's, that's perfect. That's what we're supposed to do. And we don't have to teach and coach every single moment. So again, powerful stuff. I love it. And I'm, I'm feeling a little weight get off and, and I'm excited about, uh, about being that leader and, and a little less of a coach. So awesome. Great. It's really, as I said earlier, about letting your goodness out, not learning new tricks to do and pulling things in, you know, and I want to say something about, you know, kids don't like a whole lot of teachable moments either. And, and so many studies show that actually play with a father is critical to um, emotional and healthy psychological growth to kids. So if you have to choose between a teachable moment and a play, go play. Gosh. You can be good at that. And it's good for oh. your kids. That's, that's a, that's a big statement, man. I'm so more uh, likely to get out a, a book or the Bible or to hit something or, Hey, listen to this Zig clip or, or something of that nature. Then the, they really want me to go jump on the trampoline. They do. Yeah. They do. I was thinking the same thing, Kevin. That's what my kids want. They want me to go jump on the trampoline. Yes. So do it. It's so good for them. I'll send you studies to prove it. I mean, you know, as a physician, I feel like I always need to back up everything with studies. But, And that's one thing mothers don't do well. We don't play with our kids enough. Dads do. And we get mad at dads because all you do is ever play. You're just the fun dad. And I'm the mean guy. Well, the truth is. You've been in my house. (laughs) It's really good for kids to play with their dads. Wow. Awesome. Okay, well, so such we could we could go on, folks. I, I would keep, continue here. Go get the book. That's the point here. Go to go get the book. But I do want to end on. It's actually you started the book with this. We're going to end on it. it's on page seven, uh, where you're talking. Well, Zig, 
So uh, Zig Ziglar, he wasn't merely hype and inspiration, as everybody listening here knows. He was about action and aspiration for a goal and end result. So I want you to talk some on the payoffs that research shows when there is an active, engaged, hero-embracing daddy. And again, folks, go get the book. Read starting page seven. You'll get all of this. But I want you to hit on a few of those so that people can get that implanted in their their mind. Thank you so much. I appreciate that because again, I'm not just making this up and I'm not just trying to make people feel good. This is real truth. You know, studies show that fathers or children whose fathers read to them from the time they're six months old on test higher on IQ tests when they're three years old than children whose fathers didn't read to them. So you have the ability to bolster your child's IQ in those very early years. We know that the best way to boost the self-esteem of a young girl is to have her father give her physical affection or physical attention. We also know that kids who have a father in the home, not even a great dad, just an average okay dad in the home, struggle less with depression, less with anxiety. They do better in school. Their grades are better. They're more likely to finish high school and go on to college and even go on to graduate school. Um, with a father in their home, if they feel connected to their father, the, that's the most important thing a parent can do to keep their child at, during the teen, teen years away from sex, drugs, alcohol, and other bad behaviors is Children, teenagers who feel connected to their fathers and to their mothers, particularly fathers here, are far less likely to get in trouble during the teen years. So the very best thing that you could do to safeguard your kids from from running away from home or turning to drugs or turning to sex or having children, whatever, is just be present in their lives. You don't have to be a great communicator. You don't have to be a perfect dad. You have to be a good enough dad who shows up and loves his kid like who loves his kids like mad and then just enjoy them just enjoy them and that's what getting the big stuff right is all about because all the data for you engaging your kids is on your side as far as the incredible overwhelming benefits that we can measure that it has in uh, in kids lives from as young as six months old until they're adults Okay. Well, folks, I want to remind you as you hear this and there's so much, go get the book, but I also want you to remember, as I said at the top of the show, that at Ziegler Family in the Thrive community, um, Dr. Meg Meeker, she's going to be there as the family expert. So you're going to be able to hear it's a spotlight interview and Mark is going to dig in deeper with her there. So that's the Thrive community there where you can get involved. Uh, Dr. Meg. Thank you so much for uh, giving us your time, for doing what you do to devote yourself to this message that we so immensely need, that I need. So 50,000 people are going to hear this thing. They're going to benefit, but I'm grateful that right here, right now, standing in my office, I got to benefit from this. I'm going to really get into and digest this book and my family will benefit. So from them and myself, thank you. And I know my six kids, they're, they're right behind me here, right up, right up here. And, and uh, they're going to benefit tonight. I mean, I, this, you gave me so many tangible steps that I can take immediately with my family and I can't wait to do it. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. Folks. Thanks for being with us as we walk together and inspiring our true performance. Talk with you in the next Ziggler show.